The Bible is, it has a particular design to it. There's, a, there's, there's earmarks of the architecture of it that it is indeed God's book because God has spoken to us through his word. And God, when he designed the Bible, and specifically the book of Genesis, in the beginning he laid out of course, there were no chapters and verses, but we have that section that we have, that has since been designated to us as Genesis chapter one. And in that chapter, and, and, and a little bit into chapter two, we have the story of creation. We have the story of how God created the heavens and the earth, and all that there is, and how he brought order out of chaos and purposeness. Uh, purpose out of meaninglessness. And so we, we have that section. And then the, the book just begins uh, after that, which just it begins to tell the story. And, 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 and it has a plan to it. It has a design to it. And it begins to tell the story of mankind and how man was placed in the earth and man disobeyed God and fell away and was cast out of the garden. But then there was this element of the gospel that God would bring, the gospel of a Messiah, of, a, of the seed of the woman that would come to, to ultimately bring freedom and deliverance to mankind that had fallen away from him. And so we've gone through this story of Genesis all the way up through all of actually six key figures that we've kind of dealt with. There's been many, many figures, both male and female, as we've discussed Genesis, but there's been six main characters that you that kind of the story of Genesis kind of hinges on. It starts with Adam, and then you have Abel, and then you have Noah, and then you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And tonight we come to the seventh figure, really, that is the the main principal figure of the book of Genesis, and his name is Joseph. The book of, of the Bible, and specifically Genesis, is a book that has a story about it, and perhaps when people have come to the Bible and they say, look, you know, I'd like to know a lot more about the creation. I mean, how did exactly God make man? You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, we have a couple verses on how God, you know, that we were made out of the dust. And whatever, but how, exactly how did he do that? Well, we, we don't have a lot of information. And perhaps those are the questions that we can ask God uh, in, in eternity. But what we do have in the narrative is a story that plays out that not only is representative of actual history and of actual events, but there's a story kind of behind the story that there's elements to those particular characters, events, and places that point to the bigger picture story of the entire Bible and really of the Son, Jesus Christ. Because really, when you look at the Bible, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Uh, there's in, if you study uh, in Bible college, you'll have to take a class called Biblical hermeneutics. Anybody heard of that? Biblical hermeneutics. Yeah, it's one of those words like, you know, no, I don't want to deal with that. Hermeneutics, what is it? Well, it's really, it's a fancy word that just simply means biblical interpretation. Actually, it's the art and science of biblical interpretation is the proper definition. And it gives principles and rules to properly interpret the Bible. I'm going to give you one simple principle for looking at the Bible and reading the Bible. Not hermeneutics, hymeneutics. It's all about him. 
And so whenever you're looking at a passage, look for Jesus in the passage. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you find eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. Amen. In the volume of the book, it was written of me. The Bible's all about Jesus. And so we come to the story of Joseph, Jacob and Rachel's son. And Joseph is a type of Jesus. He's a type. He's a foreshadowing of the person of Christ. And so we'll see, as we look at the life of Joseph, we'll see many things that will remind us of what we know about Jesus. And perhaps we'll learn some new things about Jesus as we look specifically at the life of Joseph. A.W. Pink, who was a, a, a very scholarly pastor and commentator, uh, said in his commentary on Genesis, if you want to look it up, it's, he's, he's got great stuff, but his commentary is called Gleanings in Genesis. And he says that the, there are at least 100 points of parallel between the life of Joseph and the life and the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see some things in the life of Joseph that tell us something about Jesus. The first one tonight, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Now let's go to Genesis 37 and pick it up in verse 1. It says this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is the, this dream that you have dreamed? Shall, shall your mother and I... And, and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. What we see from the life of Joseph points us to something about Jesus. And that is that Jesus is the king. As we read the passage here, we read this opening of the chapter, we discover that Joseph is 17. He's 17 years old and he's a shepherd. 
He's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He was out caring for the, for the flocks. He was out feeding the flocks. And just in this opening couple of verses, we see something of the life of Christ because Jesus is also a shepherd. Amen. Not only is he a shepherd, but the, the Bible says specifically, he says of himself, he's the good shepherd. And you know what? We need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. The Bible compares man kind to sheep. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep, we human beings, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has gone our own way. And so we're sheep and we're going wandering around in all kinds of different crazy directions. Every, every direction that anyone can wander in, we've wandered in. And we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Well, some people say, well, I don't need a shepherd. I don't need anybody over me. I don't need somebody looking after me. I, I, I can take care of myself. No, no, no. You need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. Um, and, and we need a shepherd. And he's a good shepherd. And Joseph was a shepherd. And he was out giving care to his sheep. And, and he was out with his brothers, too. And, and it says that Joseph gave... Uh, came back to his father and gave a bad report uh, about his brothers. And, uh, you know, this is kind of like a little brotherly thing to do. This is, you know, if you, anybody have a little brother? Anybody grow up with a little brother? Anybody, you are the little brother? You were this guy that told on everybody else, right? And, uh, and sometimes it's tattletaling. Sometimes it's like, hey, why do you have to go tell dad everything? And sometimes it's just that you care more about what dad thinks than everyone else around you thinks. And there's a difference between that. And, and, and we've got to realize that, you know, Joseph had that in mind, that there was something within him. It, and of course, perhaps that uh, flowed out of Jacob's uh, great love for him. And, and, the, and the love that he sensed from his father, but there was also a, a concern and a love that he had for his father, and that he, he thought about what his father might think of the situation. And it's, it's the same way of Jesus when he was upon the earth. He, he looked after what the father wanted. There were all kinds of things that everyone else wanted of Jesus, and he always was looking to the will of the Father. He was submitted to the will of the Father. Of course, Jesus, uh, the, the God-man, being in two natures, uh, you know, we don't have time to get into that whole thing, the hypostatic union of Christ. But anyways, the, two, the du, 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 dual nature of, 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 of Christ and in, the huma in his humanity and in the person, the second person of the Trinity, he submitted to the will of the Father. Amen. And he's, he's concerned with the Father's plan, what the Father thinks, what the Father's will is. And we would do good to actually follow in Jesus' footsteps in this. Sometimes we can care a little bit too much about what everyone else thinks and not enough about what God thinks. And uh, I think I saw it was, actually a, it was actually a quote from Clint Eastwood, if you've seen this one. And he actually said, I, I wish that 
we in America cared more about what God thinks than we think about what everyone else thinks. I wish we, I wish we had that type of thinking. And, and that's the type of thinking we need. Not in the sense that we're looking down our nose at this person did this and this person did that because you've done some pretty bad things yourself. But keeping an eye on your own self and keeping an interest, a number one and primary interest in the things that the Father is interested in and, and what he wants for your life. And I think that's <clears throat> kind of a good, a good way to go, you know, if you're thinking about what to do or how to think. So Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father. And it should be, let it be the same case for us, for each of us. Now Jacob, who's also Israel, Jacob gave, gave Joseph a gift. He gave him a special coat of course, we're familiar with this story because there's been, you know, of course, there's a Broadway production after this story, right? Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? And, of course, you know, actually I saw um, the Coco Playhouse right down here did a, did a, a version of this, and uh, Mary Jo and I were given tickets to it. It was actually a fantastic job that they did. Uh, right down there in Cocoa Village, there's a theater right there. Um, and you go walk in there and you can just think, I'm in Broadway, I'm in Broadway. No, I'm in Cocoa. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, you walk outside, nope, this is Cocoa, for sure. This is not Times Square. Uh, but, he, but Jacob gave Joseph uh, this special coat. And we've called it, you know, of course, in the, the, the play, it was called the, the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's been called the coat of many colors. The word here for colors means this. It's actually, and I'm sure that it had, I'm sure perhaps it was colorful, so I'm not denying the, the reality of, of the, you know, that, that it could have been a very colorful coat. But the word there means flat of the hand or foot, or the palm or the sole, of a tunic reaching to the palms and the soles. And this signifies that it was a big coat that would have had big sleeves that reached to or covered the hands. And the one who had that type of coat, the person who had a coat that had big sleeves and this type of sleeves that would cover the hands was considered the big guy. The, head, the honcho, the one who was in charge. He was in charge. The sleeves were extra big, big enough to carry things. So you had these sleeves that would cover the hands. We see this even in our graduation ceremonies. Of course, we've just had some graduation ceremonies. Some have graduated from high school. Congrats to all the high school grads. And then, of course, you have those that go on to college and get a college graduate uh, degree, perhaps an associate's degree or what they call a bachelor of arts or a bachelor of science. And you have the robe and the hat, right? And then if you continue to pursue your education, you go to the next level, which is the master's, a master's degree. And when you get to the master's degree, you, your, your robe changes, your coat your graduation coat changes. It's not just the same one that you had when you got your bachelor degree. 
the, the master's robe, actually the sleeves come down and they literally cover the hands. They're actually this long. If you've ever, if you've ever paid attention to this type of uh, stuff. And the idea there is that now you have reached a level of education. You've re reached a level of proficiency that now you are kind of, you're kind of a big guy now. You're, 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 you're reaching that point where now you're going to be in charge. You're going to not so much, uh, uh, work with the hands as much as working with the mind and directing and giving leadership over the thing. You're a master. It's a master's degree. And you see this in the coat, the coat, the big coat. And the guys saw this and they were jealous. They were jealous of this and they didn't like Joseph. And it's the same for Jesus. You know, when he came into the world, John opens up his letter, his gospel, not his letter, his gospel. In the first chapter, it says that Jesus came unto his own, and what happened? His own did not receive him. They didn't receive him. They didn't want anything of him. And then it goes even more into the dreams. He has, this, he has these dreams. He's a, he's a dreamer. Joseph has these dreams, and the first one, of course, is the dream of the sheaves that are out in the field and they're cutting down the sheaves of wheat and Joseph has his sheaves, the, all the other brothers have theirs and, and his kind of stands up tall and all the other brothers, they're all their sheaves, bow down to Joseph. And he told this dream to his brothers and they hated him. And then of course he had another dream. And you know, there's this pattern that you're gonna see as you go through scripture, you see this pattern where you'll see like dreams that'll come in pairs. You know, God speaks a lot of times in, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll give direction or he'll give a word, you know, and it'll be three things, you know, like my grace is sufficient for you. You know, Paul asked three times that, it, you know, Jesus, God would remove the thorn in the flesh and no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so there's you know, and I think Peter actually received three words when he was having that vision on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house. And, uh, you know, arise and eat, arise and eat, arise and eat. Okay, knock, knock, knock. There's a couple Gentiles at the door that are going to take you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So, but here we have two dreams. And the second one is the sun, moon, and the stars. And they all bow down to Joseph. And he tells his brother, he tells his father, and they just, you know, they don't, they hate him. They, they can't stand him. Even his father goes so far as to rebuke him. But then the passage ends with Joseph keeping it all in mind. That almost, when I read that, that kind of reminded me of Mary. You know, when the, when the angel spoke to Mary and, and she, kept, she pondered these things in her heart, or when the shepherds came to the, to, to the manger and you know, she pondered all, everything that was said to her. She, she kind of kept it in her heart and in her mind. And here, you know, you have the passage where Jacob is, is kind of keeping these things in his mind. But these dreams further signi signi signify the, the, you know, kind of the, 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 the elevation that is going to come, this exaltation that is going to come, and that, that he is uh, going to be king and that he is going to be bowed down to. Joseph I'm talking about, but also Jesus. Jesus came into the world and humbled himself. When Jesus was born into the world, what was that? That was called, the, in, the, in theology, that's actually called the humiliation of Christ. When you're taking systematic 
theology too. You get to the doctrine of Christ and you get to what they call the humiliation of Christ. It's not like, you know, he had toilet paper stuck on the bottom of his foot when he came out of the bathroom. No, it's the humiliation of Christ. He literally, when he came to earth, when he was born, when he put on flesh, when he was a babe in a cave, placed in in clothes and put in a feeding trough of animals. Yeah, that was, he had lowered himself. He had descended to the lower earthly regions. And, but there was coming a day. There is coming a day when he's going to be exalted. And Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter two, that he has been exalted. He's been given the name, the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess uh, in the heavens Above, on the earth, and and under the earth, everywhere, everywhere, every knee will bow at the the, the majesty and the kingship of Christ. But his own did not receive him. Joseph's brothers hate him. His father's rebuking him. And Jesus felt the same, experienced the same. He came into his own, his own did not receive him. You know, there's that scene when Jesus is out there and he's ministering and his brothers actually come to try to rescue him from himself. You know this scene in the gospel where they come and say, Jesus, just come on home. Just come on home. We don't know what in the world you're doing, but just, just, just come with us. And he doesn't go because he knows who he is and he knows what he's doing and he knows what the plan of God is. And he continues to do that. And that's where he says, look, you know, honor your father and mother. Yeah, my, my, uh, you need, you need to honor your, your heavenly father. You need to do the will of the Lord. Amen. So this is the same, not only at the beginning of Christ's ministry, but all the way through his ministry, even to when Jesus was on the cross. You have this kind of scoffing at Jesus' declarations of who he was and who he claimed to be. And I just want to point, just you know, there's several examples that could be used, but just this one, one is interesting here. Matthew 27, verse 39. And here is, here is Jesus on the cross. And it says, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. This is kind of, you know, this is the brothers. These are the people. These are the people that Jesus came to to give his life for, that that hate him, that, that, that hated him, conspired against him, spat in his face, you know, yelled crucify him, turn him over to the, The Gentiles, let the Gentiles crucify him. But Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And Joseph would one day be elevated to that, a high place. And of course, we'll follow the story as we go through. The next thing we see in this passage about Joseph that we also notice of Jesus is that Jesus was sent. Let's go back to the text in Genesis 12 pick it up, or Genesis 37, pick it up, verse 12. It says this, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. 
And then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back words to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he sent him to Shechem. And now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? And so he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here for I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. So Joseph was sent. Joseph was sent. They're, they're actually abiding in Hebron there now. And so Joseph is sent up to Shechem. His brothers had gone up to take care of Jacob's uh, flocks up in Shechem. And so now uh, Jacob is wanting to send Joseph up there to check on his brothers. And of course, you'll remember from our recent study, Shechem is, the, is kind of the, the immoral city uh, from where we had the, Gen you know, the Genesis chapter 35 incident with Diana being raped and of course, the, you know, uh, Simeon and Levi taking their vengeance out upon, upon the people there, the men of the city. So Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem to find his brothers. It is exactly what the father does with the son. He sends Jesus, the son, to his brothers. He sends him to his brothers to, to seek them out, to the, to, the, to the lost flock of the house, the, 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 of, the, of the flock of Israel, and, and, and to seek them out. Of course, we have the famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what? That he sent his only his one-of-a-kind son. What did he do? He sent him. Just as Jacob sent Joseph to go look for his brothers, the father sends the son. Paul picks up on this theme in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. You'll see it on the screen. But when the fullness of the time had come, God, what? Sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. So Joseph sought out his brothers. And Jesus came into the world to seek and save. He came out to, to search out for his brothers, for the, the, the lost of the world. Now, as we go through the story here, Joseph does come to Shechem, and he's out in the field just kind of wandering around looking for his brothers. In fact, you come up on it, where is it there? It's verse uh, 15. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they're feeding their flocks. And, and this is very interesting. Here you have Joseph wandering around and where? In a field, looking for his brothers. I want to just remind you of Jesus taught some parables in Matthew chapter 13. They're called the kingdom parables. Actually, it's a series that we have up on the app right now that you can actually listen to the, less, the teachings I did on this particular chapter in Matthew because they're kind of pr some profound parables that he did. They're called the kingdom parables. And in the parables in Matthew 13, we see this idea of, of the field. There's an idea of the field. And Jesus 
uh, basically gives the interpretation of what the field is. And the field is, is the same thing in all of the parables there in Matthew 13. The field is the world. And so in the first parable, it's the parable of the, the, the sowers, the wheat, and the tares. And, and there's this field, and, and someone, and, you know, they go out and they sow good seed in the field, and then someone goes in and sows tares in the field. And that's when the angels, or the, in the interpretation, the angels come to the Father and say, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then why are, these, why are there tares in your field? Well, the enemy has done this, right? So the enemy has sowed tares in the field. Well, what is the field? It's the world. And so when you skip down to the, the parable of the hidden treasure, you have the same analogies of the field. And here you have a man who goes through a field, and he's going through a field, and in the field he finds a treasure. And for the joy that he had over this treasure, he went out and he sold, and sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field, so that he could p- possess the treasure that was in the field. And here we have Joseph in Genesis 37 wandering around in a field. A man finds him. What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers. Jesus is the one in the field. In the parable, the kingdom parable of the hidden treasure, he's come into the field of the world. And he's looking in this world. And he has found a treasure. The, 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 the lost brothers, his lost brothers that he wants to, to, to possess. And so what does he do? He gives everything up so that he can buy the field so that he could possess the treasure, this hidden treasure within the field. Within the field, within the earth. And so what did Jesus do? He came into this world and he gave everything. He gave his very life on the cross, his blood was shed. It's just spilt down to the ground. It was poured out as a drink offering, spilt out on purpose, given as a payment. What did he do? He bought some stuff. <laughs> when you get to the book of Revelation, you get to chapter 5. And chapters 4 and 5 are the scene in the book of Revelation in heaven. Chapter 4 is this great throne room scene where you see all this worship happening and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and all this. You get to chapter 5 and it's the same kind of thing, but there's this something going on. What is it? Well, there's this seven-sealed scroll. And there's some weeping going on in heaven because... John the Revelator reveals to us, he says, we, there was no one found that could unseal the seven-sealed scroll. No one, could, no one was worthy. No one had the right to unseal this. And then we found one. And it was Jesus. What, was he, what did he have the right to do? He had the right to open that seven-sealed scroll because it was literally the title deed to the earth that he had purchased with his own life and he was able to peel back the seven sealed scrolls because not only did he purchase the earth, but he did it for a reason to to own and to purchase the lost brothers that were the hidden treasure in the earth. And he came and wandered in this field so that he could have the hidden treasure within the field. And it's an amazing picture here in Genesis 37 where we have Joseph 
wandering in the field looking for his brothers. He looks and the man tells him, well, I think I overheard them saying that they were going to Dothan. Dothan. Now, I have some friends that live in Dothan, Alabama, but this, this isn't Dothan, Alabama. This was a different Dothan. This was, I guess, the original Dothan. And so Dothan actually, where does Jesus, where does Joseph, <laughs> you interchange Joseph and Jesus through this whole thing. Where does Joseph find his brothers? Down in Dothan. Dothan means double sickness. This is exactly where we are without Christ. This is exactly where we are without the Lord. We're, we're doubly sick. In fact, Mary Jo mentioned it in the worship time, the opening of Ephesians. Paul says, we were, we, you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, a double sickness. But God, but God is rich in mercy. He's out to find you. He's going to come down to Dothan. He's going to come down to the place of double sickness, and he's going to come down to, to, to find you out. And, um, and that's, what he, that's what he does. So Jesus is the king. Jesus was sent. Thirdly tonight, Jesus suffered by his own. Let's pick it up. Back in Genesis 37, verse 18, it says this. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, and let, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they had stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. And then the Midianite traders passed by so that the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood, and then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all the daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Jo jo Jesus 
Joseph suffered by his own. Jesus suffered by his own. Jesus, this section in verse 18, it, you know, his brothers see him coming and they immediately conspire to get rid of him. They immediately spot, conspire to kill him. And this is, this is exactly the way it was for Jesus. Um, the life of the Messiah was foretold. Even the conspiracy against Christ was foretold. Read Psalm chapter 2. It's all you need to read to know that there was, there was a conspiracy against the Lord foretold that the rulers and the elders have taken their place. They've taken their stand to conspire against the Lord and against his anointed. Against who? Against the Christ. Against the Christ. And then, of course, we have after the fact, after Jesus had been crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are praying, and they make mention of this conspiracy of mankind against Jesus uh, in, in their prayer. And it says this, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, what? against Christ. Who was it in that verse? Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. It's pretty much, that verse basically says, if you want to know who killed Jesus, pretty much everybody. <laughs> okay? The ruler, the ruler from Rome, the, the Judean ruler, the Jews and the Gentiles, everybody was involved in the conspiracy against Christ to kill him. And so you have this conspiracy against the Lord. Even in, during the life of, in the ministry of Christ, there was this conspiracy. So you have, you have Joseph coming up to meet his brothers, and you have them saying, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. Let's see what comes of his dreams now. We're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. The Pharisees were the same way. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, you'll see it on the screen. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So you see this, this parallel between Joseph and Jesus. So what did they do? They said, well, let's put him in a pit. A pit really is a cistern. It's, it's, a cistern is a giant hole in the ground that was designed to collect water. It's, you know, it's basically a desert out there. And so they would have these cisterns that were designed to collect the water and so that they could kind of reservoir the water, if you will. This particular pit, this particular cistern was empty. Cistern was empty, and they put him in, they put Joseph in the empty pit. Sound familiar? <laughs> they put Jesus in the empty tomb, a tomb that had never been used, Joseph's tomb. We sang about it tonight. It was placed in the empty tomb. Reuben is conflicted. Reuben, the firstborn son. He's conflicted about the whole thing. Reuben is almost, he's, he's kind of, I don't want to take, stretch it too far, but he's almost kind of like a pilot here. He's, he's conflicted about the thing. He wants to kind of let him go. He's not totally in league with the brothers. He wants to figure out a plan to kind of mitigate this and move it along and, 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 and do it. And so you have Reuben a lot like Pontius Pilate. Pilate had Jesus scourged instead of killed. Remember that? He says, oh, take him away, scourge him. Scourge him. You know, if they were going to just crucify him, they were just going to crucify Jesus, they would have just crucified him. 
I mean, scourging was kind of one penalty, and crucifixion was another penalty. And if you were going to be crucified, they'd just take you out to the hill and crucify you. But Pilate, kind of being conflicted about the whole situation, says, okay, have him scourged. He goes and he has Jesus scourged, just beaten down, his flesh pull, you know, pulled out of his back, his, just, the, just the open flesh of his back, the blood pouring down, and then Jesus comes back. And we talked about this just recently, the robe, the, they, they, the, 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 the soldiers put the scarlet robe up on him. And there he is standing before, uh, before Pilate. And he turns to, the, he turns to the, the people, and the people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now, Joseph brothers, they see the Ishmaelites coming, the company of the Ishmaelites. Interestingly, they came with what? Spices, balm, and myrrh. Did that kind of ring any bells with, you know, as we read that? Um, and so Judah says, the fourth son, he says, what profit is there for us? Let, his, let not his blood be on our hands. And so you can, you can actually hear the kind of the voice of Pilate there. You know, Pilate literally, he did this kind of ceremonial washing. I mean, he had the servant with the bowl of water and, you know, washing his hands. You know, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. You know, so you're kind of turning him over to um, the Jews to let them do what uh, he did. But it was really the Jews who were turning him over to Pilate to, to let him be crucified by Pilate. And so we have this verse of scripture that we see in the gospel of John, John chapter 18, verse 28. You'll see it on the screen. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the, to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Okay, what's this about? Okay, here you have here you have the Jews so concerned. They're wanting to see Jesus through to his trial and sentencing and crucifixion and death. But as he's being led away from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he's led to the praetorium. They said, oh, well, we, 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 we can't even go into the praetorium because we're, gonna, we're just not going to be defiled. And so here you have Joseph's brother saying, look, why should we defile ourselves? Let's just sell him over to the Ishmaelites. And what an interesting thing. And so they, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Of course, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and they came back to their father. They lied about it. They lied about Joseph. They had taken the coat, the, the tunic of many colors, and they, 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 killed, they killed a kid lamb, a kid of the lambs, and they tipped the tunic in the blood. And they knew Jesus was alive. They knew Jesus was alive, but they lied about it. This was, the, the Jews lied about Jesus' resurrection. The Jewish leaders paid the Roman soldiers to lie about what had happened. The, the Roman soldiers knew that the whole thing just kind of breaks down because you had Roman soldiers that were, that were placed at the tomb, right? The tomb was sealed at the request of the Jews because of, of, of Jesus' pronunciations that he was going to raise himself from the dead. And so the tomb was sealed, it was guarded, and then after the resurrection, they had to pay off the, you know, talk about conspiracies. I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracies going on here. There's under the table 
payments and all kinds of stuff. And so the Roman soldiers uh, were paid off to lie about what had happened. So you have the brothers lying about G Joseph being killed, being dead. Um, a couple more things, and then we're going to wrap it up tonight. But you see, Jacob, there is a principle that you do have to watch out for. And, and this, this, is, this is a principle that you have to be mindful of in your life. And, and there is the principle of reaping and sowing. So you have to be very careful about what you're sowing in your life, right? Um, Jacob had sown a lot in his early years, some, tr some really bad seeds. It wasn't just some little mischief. He'd sown some bad seeds, <laughs> stealing his father's, uh, stealing the, 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 the blessing from, it, from Esau. And how did he do it? How did his mom and him pull off that deception? Well, remember, they gave, she gave him a coat of a goat, <laughs> the fur of a goat skin, right? And here is a goat killed, the coat dipped in the blood to deceive Jacob into thinking that his son had been killed. Joseph's blood-sprinkled coat is presented to the father. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father. You can actually see an anticipation of the type of the blood of Christ as the scapegoat. We don't have time to get into that really deep tonight, but you have the idea of the atonement that Christ made, and there was the scapegoat. You had the, the, the Passover lamb, and you had the goat, the animal that was actually killed and atoned for, and then you had the scapegoat that would carry the sins of the people out as a sin offering out into the wilderness. So you see all these elements being kind of laid down here in, in Genesis. And so what do you have? You have the life of Joseph. Kind of it, Everything is kind of set up here. But what we've seen tonight in this chapter is we've seen some great parallels of the life of Christ and how much um, and what he's done for us, how he came into this world to seek us to give everything, to seek out his brothers, to seek you out. He came into this world to seek you out and to give his life for you. Why? Because you were, you were, you were part of that treasure hidden in the field that he came to purchase and give his life as a ransom. And we're going to now go to the table of the Lord and we're going to celebrate, we're going to remember what Jesus actually did for us, that he did give his life for us, that he did purchase us, that we were bought back uh, in, from, from the bondage of this world.